0: Now, I can tell by the look on some of your faces you've never been to a church where they played a Pink Floyd song, Another Brick in the Wall. I remember the first time I heard that song, I was about 12 years old. My best friend then in school, we were at a Godfather's Pizza over on Freedom Drive in Charlotte, and uh, Dennis Brewer said... Um, I'm going to let you hear a song that will change your life. You remember when they had jukeboxes, the ones that you actually put money in? And uh, so uh, the first song you actually played was uh, Van Halen's You Really Got Me. But then he played Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall. Why in the world would you do a song like that in church? Why? What's that all about? Well, Another Brick in the Wall is not a Christian song. But there's a biblical message there. There's a biblical message. See, the the message of that song is one of rebellion. And you sure they're talking about school and they're saying, we don't need no education. We don't need no false control. In other words, don't tell us how to think. We'll think any way that we want. We'll act any way we want to. We'll live any way we want to. We'll make up our own minds. We'll do things our own way. We'll live independently Of the instructions of other people. And listen, most of us live that way, even
1: toward God. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. I believe in free thinking.
0: I I believe that the government shouldn't tell you how to think, the government should not tell you how to live, no matter what the brand may be. But, guys, listen to me. It's just foolishness when we refuse to listen to the advice and to the wisdom and to the instructions of other people in our lives. And listen, it's even worse when we refuse to listen to the commands of God. Many of us live saying we'll listen to whatever our teachers are saying or we'll listen to some of those who sit in authority over us. But God, don't you tell me what to do. Or even if you do tell me, I'll let it in one ear and write out the other. But we're going to live life the way we want to live. And I just want to give you a warning that that will lead you to destruction. I want to read some verses to you that come out of the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and also chapters 28. It's kind of a long passage, but listen, I want you to lean in this morning. I want you to listen, and I want you to hold intention The words of that song that the band just sang, we don't need no education. Is that the way you speak to God? God, we don't need you to tell us what to do. So hold that intention with what God says in his word. These are the commands, decrees and regulations that the Lord, your God, commanded me to teach you. This is Moses talking to the people of God right now, as Moses is speaking to these people They are living in the desert. They're living on the cursed side of the Jordan River, but they think that they're very close to crossing over the Jordan River to go into the promised land. God gives Moses these words to speak to the people, and he says, this is how we're to live when we move into the land. He says, you must obey these commands that I'm teaching you in the land that you are about to enter and occupy, and you and your children... And grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. And this is not the kind of fear where you're biting your nails off going, oh no, is God going to just zap us out at any moment? It's not that kind of fear, but it's about respect. Are you going to listen? Are you going to live the way God is commanding you to live? And he says, if you will, I'll bless your children. I'll bless your grandchildren. I'll bless their children. If you obey obey all of these decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. How many of us want to live and enjoy a long life? Twelve of us. Okay. He goes on to say, listen, O Israel. And when he says, O Israel, that O means all of Israel. And what he's really saying is, listen to me, all the people of God. And so... You know, whenever you're reading a Bible passage or you're listening to a sermon that's preached from the word of God, whatever is being spoken of in scripture, it has two meanings. First, it meant something to the people who heard it for the very first time. And second, it means something to you and me today. So these words that God gave Moses to speak to the children of Israel all those years ago, hundreds, even thousands of
1: years They are for you and me today as the people of God. And so he says, listen. The Lord is our God. And the Lord alone.
0: You want me to tell you where families and society and the world gets off track? It's right there in that verse. Oh, there are many gods. Or or there are many ways to heaven. There is no truth.
1: You live your way. I live my way. It doesn't really matter. There's no God to answer for. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your
0: soul, and with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Listen, I'm not going to preach at you the whole time I'm standing up here, but I'm kind of I'm kind of feeling some stuff this morning.
1: Listen. Some of you live like there is no God. And some of you would say, well, there is no God, so
0: I can live however I'd like. But Some of you say that there is a God, but you just don't live like there's a God. God teaches us in his word that we must follow him wholeheartedly, not just part the way, not not. Not taking the Bible and what God teaches us like it's a buffet down at the Golden Corral. Like, yeah, I'll take a little bit of this, but I don't want any of that. You know, I'll eat. See, this is why I'm glad I can't eat buffets anymore. Because when I go to a buffet, of course, I load up on the meat. Just get all your proteins in, right? But then, man, if I'm at a buffet and I'm getting to pick what I'm eating, there's no greens on that plate. There's very little color, in fact. I'll I'll have some of every kind of potato they got on the buffet. And uh, a lot of times that's the way we follow God. We just pick and choose. Yeah, I'll take God for my salvation, but when it comes to my sex life, I'll handle that part. He says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up tie them to your hands, wear them on your forehead as reminders, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. He says, in the future, your children will ask, what's the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? And I would imagine these aren't small kids. These are teenagers. What? What do you mean? I've got to do this. We've got to live God's way. We've got to do this. Why? What is this all for? God is telling us that sex is supposed to be enjoyed between a man and a woman
1: in the context of marriage. Why do we have to live that way? And then you'll tell them why. You'll give them the story. You'll
0: give them our story, the testimony about God's great hand in our lives. Tell them that we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. That means we didn't slip through the cracks in the back wall in the dark of night. When God finished with the Pharaoh and the Egyptians, this nation, which at that time was the greatest powerhouse on the planet, Even today, in places like West Point and other places where war is studied and taught, they teach on the ancient Egyptians and the things that they learned in warfare all those years ago. They were the greatest nation on earth, but when God had finished with them, not only did the army open up the front doors and let them walk out, but the people of Egypt Gave them the wealth of Egypt on their way out the front door. God don't play. And he took it to our enemies. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes. Things like he fed them bread that came out of heaven. He gave them water that came right out of a rock when they were almost at the end of their life. After they had left Egypt, they came out into the desert and they came to the great cul-de-sac. They had the Red Sea in front of them, the desert on both sides of them, and the Egyptian army bearing down on them. And the people of God cried out to God and God parted the Red Sea. The children of Israel walked across on dry land when the Pharaoh and his armies tried to come in behind him. God closed up the water and listen, for days and days, the Hebrew people, the people of God, stood on the other side of the Dead Sea or the Red Sea and watched as the bodies of these Egyptian soldiers
1: washed up on the seashore. He brought us out of Egypt so that he could give us this
0: land that he swore to our ancestors. God keeps his promises. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so that, so that not just he, he can control us, it's not about controlling us, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. He did this so that he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as he has done to this very day. For we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands that our Lord has given to us. So the people
1: are pumped up. Yea, God. But then there's the warning. That if you
0: refuse to listen to the Lord, your God, and do not obey all the commands and decrees that I'm giving you today, all of these curses will come and overwhelm you. The consequences of living our own ways. It's not just that God's going to come and say, you're cursed, and you're cursed, and you're cursed, and you're cursed. But God has given us the ability to make up our own minds, to make our own decisions. But there are consequences that come with that. In other words, God won't say, you don't want my education. You don't want my decrees. You don't want my commands. But you're going to give or you're going to live by them. Anyway, whether you want to or not, if you say no to God, God will let you refuse him. But he says there are consequences for that.
1: Your towns and your fields will be cursed. Because I can't bless them. If you're going
0: to live your own way, I can't bless your towns and your fields, your fruit baskets and your breadboards, they'll be cursed. Why? Because I can't bless the fruit in your vineyards. Your children and your crops will be cursed. The offspring of your herds and your flocks will be cursed. The way that people measured their income in those days was by the flocks that they had or the silos that they could fill with grain. They didn't have a Wells Fargo Bank or Bank of America. They didn't have and trade paper money or even coins. They were very, Coins were even very rare in those days. He says, I can't bless your economy. I can't bless your family income. I can't bless your home if you're not going to live by my commands.
1: Wherever you go and whatever you do, you'll be cursed. Let that sink in a minute. There are consequences, serious consequences for not listening to God. But listen.
0: There's only a few words in that passage that talks about what the curses are. He speaks for verses and verses and verses about the upside of obeying God. It's about blessing. Listen, even when God says, don't do this or don't do that, it's meant to be a positive thing. It's not about hurting us. It's about helping us. Like when you had kids that were small. Did you teach them not to touch a hot stove? Did you, did you do that? Is it yes? This means yes. This means no. This means no. We let them do whatever they want to. This means yes. We tried to look out for them. Sure you looked out for them. Now, was that because you're trying to keep them from enjoying something? The answer is no. You, you wanted to enjoy them. You wanted to protect them. So you said don't touch the hot stove. What happens when they touch the hot stove? They get burned. The same is true when we don't listen to God's instructions for our lives. We get burned. Well, as you guys can see, Karen's up on stage with me today, and we're kicking off a new series. First time she's ever been with me on stage. I know she's a little bit nervous, and uh, and that's understandable, but uh, the stage looks a lot prettier today, that's for sure. And uh, points, 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 points. <laughs> Uh, But we're kicking off a new series today that we're just calling Modern Family. And uh, the idea behind the series is that we're going to talk to families in the here and now uh, about ways to put God first in our families. And what we're going to do is I don't have anything up here from Dr. Phil. Oprah, love Oprah, but I don't have any Oprah stuff up here with me. No self-help books up on the stage. Everything that we're going to be teaching today comes from the Bible. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the modern family, but we're going to talk about the modern family in the context of the ancient commandments and instructions that God has given us for how our families ought to look, how they ought to act, how they ought to interact. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about all sorts of things, And, and, and Part of the reason why I have Karen up on stage with me, and maybe it won't seem so much today, but in the weeks to come, uh, Karen is just going to be able to give a woman's perspective on some of the things that we're dealing with. For example, we're going to talk about how to have a satisfying marriage. Maybe you don't realize this, but God has a lot to say about how to have a good marriage, a marriage that you can enjoy. Um, I think we're going to wrap the series up with a message on how to affair-proof your marriage. And uh, so that's going to be a powerful week as well. And again, it'll be nice because Karen will be able to give a woman's perspective on uh, some of the things that God teaches us about those topics. But today we're going to go to um, the very first commandment that is in the Old Testament book of Exodus. Have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? You've heard of the Ten Commandments? They're also called the Ten Words, the Ten Words. And we're going to look at the very first of the 10 words that God gives us in the Bible. Here it is. It's Exodus 20, verse 3. If you have your message notes, pull those out, and let's get to work. Um, Exodus 23, it's our point passage. It's up on the screen. I want you guys with lots of 11 o'clock. Glad Karen is on the stage with me. Gusto, I want you to read this out loud with me. Are you with me? Guys, guys, you know, I'm just going to start tacking on minutes. If you're not with me, I'm going to add minutes to the sermon. Are you with me? (laughs) That hurts a little bit, but okay. You're just too enthusiastic about that last part. Anyway, here we go. Exodus 23. You shall have no other gods before me. Again, you shall have no other gods before me. One more time, twice as loud. You shall have no other gods before me. You know what that verse means? Exactly what it says. You shall have no other gods before me. You know what a God is? Anything that you put in front of God. The meaning of this verse, it really is simple. Maybe not so simple to live out, but simple to understand. It means that God is to have the priority of my life. And where are my 20-year-olds? Where are you guys at? We have any 20-year-olds? Got a few, some of you barely maybe. I don't know. 20. Let, let me give you guys a word of warning. In your, Let's just say 29 and under. You guys have kind of, um, I don't know how to say it, nice. You just kind of have uh, misguided. That's kind of nice. You have a misguided way. Thinking about marriage. You think that marriage means that you go do your job, whichever spouse it is. You go to your job, you go to your job. We got some kids, you know, 2.3 kids. We've got a dog and a cat, white picket fence. We do our jobs, we earn our paychecks, and we come home in the evening and we just cuddle up on the couch and we watch the
1: notebook four nights a week. Oh, man. There's a lot more to it than that.
0: And also what comes with that is that is that you think that in the order of priority in your life, it's it's the relationship with you have with your husband or your wife, and then it's the kids or maybe it's the kids and then your spouse and then your job and then your 401k and then maybe four or five other things. And then somewhere
1: on the list, maybe even in the top 10. There's God. And let me tell you something. If it's not God in the top slot, it doesn't
0: matter how everything else is ordered. Because you've messed up right out of the block. God says you shall have no
1: other gods, not just Buddha. You shall have no other gods, nothing that is a bigger
0: priority than me in your life. Today, Karen and I are going to teach you some practical and biblical um, things to do in your life to put God first. And we've used the word uh, first as an acronym for these biblical principles. Are you ready for this? You ready? You don't?
1: Is it, you got it turned on? Here, let me see it. I got you now. I got you, babe.
2: I, I think I... Is it on? There we go. We'll break it. All right, we got
0: it. So some of you know Sonny and Cher? I'm not going to sing any more of it. That's all I got for you right there. Sonny and Cher? Jeff, you're old enough to know, bro. I know you. Do. <laughs> but we've used the word FIRST as an acronym for these biblical principles. Here's the first one. If I'm going to put God first in my life, then I have to put God first in my finances. And so everybody just say this together with me. Oh. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, man, we haven't been to church for years. We've heard about this really cool church, the corner of Pitt School and Roberta Roads. Let's go give them a try. They say this church is not like every other church, so let's go see for ourselves. And you walk in, and you think, daggummit, they are just like everybody else. They're (laughs) talking about money. Daggummit. I've been hanging out with my cousins all week from Union County, or all weekend, and daggummit is uh, one of our words. (laughs) And you're like, here I am, and they're talking about money. What, what is this all about? Well, these principles are not necessarily in any order, but the word finances starts with an F. First starts with an F. And so let's just deal with it right off the bat and
1: talk about finances. You've heard me say this many times before. And so here it
0: is once more. We live in a nation and a world that is swimming in debt and porn. And do you know why? It's because for a long time the church has had this Puritan way of thinking about sex. And so we don't even want to mention the word in church. And so we don't. And over the last, I don't know, I grew up in Charlotte under the umbrella of the PTL club and Heritage USA. And so to many people, when the church talks about money, it's like a no-no, the church shouldn't have anything to say about it. And so it's like the devil and the church have this informal arrangement between each other. They've said, uh, Satan has said, okay, listen, I'll handle money and sex, and the church can talk about everything else. And so what has happened is... We now live in a world that is drowning in porn, which is sex, but Satan has perverted it. And we have become enslaved to the debtor. The Bible warns against both of those. But see, we've decided we're going to live our own way. We don't need no education. We don't need any of God's instructions. And we're paying for it. Well, Rocky River Church is a church we're not afraid to do things a little bit different. And Rocky River Church, we believe in dragging out the topics that the church won't listen to out of the darkness of the corner into the light of God's Word. And we're going to be dealing with sex in February. We're going to do a whole series on what the Bible says about sex. It's going to be a PG-13 series. We won't go any further than the Scripture goes in the matter of sex, but the Bible talks about it. Satan seems to be the only one out there talking about it. We're going to change that in here. Parents, relax. That's the last time I'm going to say sex. Well, that time is the last time. (laughs) So let's talk about money. I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, thank you. Talk about money. Get off the sex thing. Here's what the Bible says about money. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord your God with your wealth and with the the best part of everything that you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. God says, give back to me the first part of what you have and I will bless the rest. God asked for 10%. I don't know why 10%. He could have asked for 90. I'm just thankful at the end of the week, God asked for 10 and not the 90. I get to live on the 90 and give him the 10th. But why do you think God cares about that? What do you think it matters to God where we spend our money or how we spend our money? The answer is because money is the number one test of your priorities. Where you spend your money shows what's first in your life. If you spend all your money on your hobbies, that shows your priority. If you spend all of your money playing golf, that shows the priorities of your life. Do you see what I mean? Where you spend your money shows your priority. The Bible teaches in Deuteronomy fourteen twenty three that bringing the tithe into the house of God teaches us not to put golf first, not to put fishing or hunting or our hobbies or even vacations first, but it shows that we are putting God first. Again, what's the tithe? It's 10%. It's 10% of whatever I bring into, it's 10% of whatever my income may be, whatever my home produces i bring that 10 percent back to god and here's what it does two things number one it shows that god has the priority in my home and it reminds me that everything else i have not just my money but my home the family that lives in that home the health that i have is all a gift from god and guys look at me i know we live in a bad economy And I know we fret over it. i look to see what the New York Stock Exchange is. I keep up with the financial things that are going on in our world. But let me tell you that while we fret and worry, the God that we have put our trust in, He's not up in heaven going, Oh no, the Dow keeps dropping. Oh no, Facebook stocks, not what they thought it was going to be. Oh no, the world is sinking in debt. What God is really saying is, Put me
1: first, and I'll bless the rest. And I know that we have families in our
0: church that are struggling financially. I I know that when this bad economy hit, some of you lost your jobs, and now many of you are doing jobs you never imagined that you'd be doing. You're not doing what you went to school for. You're not doing what your career was for a dozen years, maybe before this economy hit. Some of us are in bad financial shape because of the decisions that we've made. And I'm going to tell you this. I want you to lean into this. As your pastor and someone who loves you and cares about you and your family, the very best advice that I can give you, better than any advice that you're going to get from someone who manages accounts and the money market, no matter how smart they may be financially, and maybe you look up at me, And you think, well, he's got a college education and all that, but he's still an ignorant preacher. The
1: best advice I can give you for how to get out of your financial mess is to put God first. And when you're tithing, when you're bringing the first part of what God gives you into the storehouse of
0: God, you're saying, God, I'm not trusting in a president. I'm not trusting in a label. I'm not trusting in
1: my 401K for my provision, but God, I'm trusting in you. Can I talk just a little bit more about this? Somebody just said no. You do do have a choice. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. Last October, we gave our church a tithe challenge.
0: We're going to do it again in September next month, so breathe easy. We gave a tithe challenge, and the challenge was this. For 90 days, put God first in your finances. You know, there's only one place and one issue where God challenges people to challenge
1: him. To test him is what he says. And so we said, look, take God seriously. In Malachi 3.10, God
0: says, bring the first 10% of everything you produce into the storehouse of God. You make sure my house has enough, and I'll make sure that you can't build enough barns to store the blessings that I pour into your life. And I said, listen, at the end of 90 days, if you don't believe that God has provided for you and your family, if you don't believe that God is blessing you,
1: then you can just say, I'm not ever given anymore because God hasn't taken care of us. But since October, I wish you could hear the stories that people tell us about what God has done in their lives after taking this tithe challenge. What God has done in our lives through a bonus we weren't expecting, through
0: some provision we weren't expecting. It It came out of the blue. We needed it just in time, and God provided. God did this. God did this.
1: All kinds of testimonies. So in September, we're going to challenge you to do the very same thing. I would encourage you not to wait until September. You know, summertime is a, is a hard
0: time on, on most churches. We don't usually suffer financially too much here as a congregation, but this year it seems to be maybe as bad as we've ever experienced it. I want to tell you this. When we gave the tithe challenge to you, I told you then that as a church we were going to practice what we preach and so even in the lean times for us, and our, our weekly budget needs are almost $10,000 a week. That's to pay all the bills. That's to just support the ministries that we have financially in our church. But we've had plenty of weeks where our offerings have been five, $6,000. And even in those weeks, we've taken the 10% off. And let me
1: tell you, it has been a little tough in places, but God has provided. And
0: sometimes it was we were able to get things a little cheaper. S- sometimes we would have a week where we had a $6,000 offering, but the next week we might have a $13,000 or $14,000 offering when there was hardly nobody here that Sunday because everybody was going on vacation. I'm just telling you that as a congregation, we have seen God provide. And God wants to do the same thing in your family. This is not preacher talk. This is not just some sort of trickery to give you more money because the summer's been tough on us. Listen, I've learned years ago that God's going to provide for us whether you give anything or not. It's not about our finances. It's about you putting God first in your life. You with me? So first, put God first in your finances.
2: Next, put God in your interest. If God is going to be first in your life, he has to be first in everything. Every area of your life, and this includes um, whether it be playing golf.
0: Oh, no, fun
2: time. Why did
0: you look at me when you said golf? I don't Can't know. you say fishing or hunting or something like that? I, I don't thought do that those was things. Interest that was in there, that you okay? Were playing golf, playing yeah. golf. Yeah. Okay. yeah,
2: yeah, playing golf, hobbies, recreation, whatever it may be. God wants to be a part of those um, areas in your life, too. Every area. Look at First 1 Corinthians 10.31. God says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything you do, you can do it for the glory of God. So what does that mean? What does that look like? I think the key here is you have an attitude of gratitude. I like how that rhymes, attitude of gratitude. Uh, it seems simple, but it's true. God wants to be a part of every area. So Lord, say thank you for uh, giving me the breath and the body to enjoy those things, whether it be playing golf. Tennis, going on vacation and doing those fun things because God wants that to be a part of your life also. He wants you to enjoy life.
0: And, and I, I, not to interrupt you, but I, I think that's true because, guys, isn't it true that you just feel closer to the Lord when you're playing golf? Let's move on. Is it just Please. me? You, Joey? In, in all seriousness, though, I mean, some people connect with God in different places. I know yeah. we feel that like when we get to go to the beach or Some people feel that when they're in the mountains or something. You can be thankful and have an attitude of gratitude wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I think that's exactly right. Well, and
2: with vacation, now we all need a time of rest. We all need that. And God wants us to have that time of rest to be able to relax and kind of renew ourselves. Next, relationships. This is a biggie. If God's going to be first in your life, then choose your friends carefully. Proverbs 27, 19 says, What a man is really like is shown by the kinds of friends he chooses. Why is that? What does my friends have to do with God being first in my life?
0: It sounds like a teenager asking that question.
2: That sounds like a question we've had before in our home. Yeah. Uh-huh. But as, an, as adults, we know that people influence us. The people we hang around begin to influence us. And it's important that we pick and choose who we are make a part of our lives. Um, if you spend time with people that take God lightly, it tends to influence you to be more casual about your faith. If you hang around people that are more committed to him, it is more encouraging to you to be committed to him. It makes a lot of difference who you choose as friends. Also, parents, we're speaking to, us included. We're yeah, too.
0: Yeah, and you know one thing I didn't say is... The, the last thing I would want you guys to do is look up here and say, oh, okay, there's Jimmy and Karen. They're, that's the pastor and his wife. They're perfect. Oh. Of course, you know me well enough. No, I'm not. <laughs> but Karen's not either. She may seem like it a little bit, but she's not. It's not like when we go to our home, when we walk in the door, you know, there's this aura <laughs> over the place. It's, angels don't begin singing when we walk in the house. No. Our kids don't come in, you know, like, I'm Moses and you're some famous woman from the Bible, (laughs) Mary, whatever. No. You know, um, listen, we don't have it perfect either. We struggle in this area just like everybody else. Yeah. And so we have to be careful of these things. Who are our kids spending time with? Who are we spending time with? Who gets invited into our home? You know, sometimes Donnie and Courtney come over. Courtney's fine. Donnie can be a really bad influence on the kids. He's nodding
2: here. I think he's the river <laughs> kids. He didn't hear that. Um, so what type of people are you exposing your children to? Who are you inviting into your home? If you're serious about building a, re- a lasting, godly values in your home, you have to pick the right influences in their life. It is our responsibility as parents to do that. If you're going to give them role models, no one else will. TV will. They'll do their best. Movies will. Music will. Games will.
0: I mean, they got snooky. Right? Gosh. Is that her name? Uh I guess. <laughs> and Bow Wow. What was it? Who? Jay Wow. Oh, Jay Wow. Oh. All
2: right, john <laughs> So I mean
0: I mean if you're not gonna give your kids role models, T V
1: will. You're yeah, you're right, Karen. TV That's will. good. That's also
2: good. look at Proverbs twelve twenty six. God says the godly will give good advice to their friends, the godly give good advice to their friends, and the wicked will lead them astray. This is important, um, especially for the ladies, and I'll get to the men here in just a few minutes. Okay, okay? Um, Ladies, I've known Christian women in the past that have have found a man, they're, they're single, um, looking uh, to get married, and are very eager to get married. Lonely. They f- Lonely. They find someone that they want to marry. They're eager to do that, and as this process takes place, their values, their morals start to slip. This person is not, what I would say, another Christian just like them. It causes them to quit going to church. It causes to, their values to go down, and they are less committed to Christ. Men the same way. When you're looking for someone to marry, make sure you put God first in that decision. He will help you find that person. Don't be so eager, but be patient with god and he will provide that person for you
0: yeah that that's true and um i I, we don't have time to do it today but maybe at some point in this series i'll say a little bit more about you and i when we were dating and and stuff like that but uh there's there's almost five well there is five years difference between karen and i i don't know what her parents were thinking nanny pop what were y'all thinking when y'all let me come around the house i don't know Do you ever wish you could take that back? You just (laughs) stuck with me. Now, once you fell in love with me, it was just all over. But you can't help it now.
2: I can't do anything about it. Uh,
0: Karen, listen, I grew up in church. My grandpa was a Baptist preacher. He was my pastor growing up. Um, So that means my mom is a pastor's daughter. So when the church doors were open, we were there. Um, I, I knew stuff and church for me was just kind of a, eh, I'm going, but it's more of a cultural thing. Karen was b- very serious about her faith and, and more committed than me. In fact, like, and we even had conversation about conversations about it, um, she was only willing to get serious when she could see in my own life that I was serious about God. And because she was willing to be strong about those things, it made me more serious about God. And and in fact, I believe that part of my submitting to God in ministry has a lot to do with um, Karen saying, listen, these are my Christian values. This is the way I live. These are things that I believe." And uh, this is the way I'm going to live. It made me be much more serious about that. Let's so. make
2: this point. Uh, quick mental note here: remember in your relationships that it is easier to pull someone down than to pull easier to pull someone down than to pull them up. People tend to pull you down more than to pull you up. Yeah. Make sure you are choosy about who you are in relationships with. That's where you put God first.
0: That's good. That's good. Um, then the S is schedule. God's going to be first in your life, then he's got to be first with your time. If you want to know what somebody values, look at their checkbook or their bank statement and look at their calendar. Where are they spending their money? Where are they spending their time? And Paul warns us in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 about how to spend our time. Here's what he says. He says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, But like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So, Jimmy, how do I put God first in my calendar? How do I put God first in my schedule? How do I put God first um, in my to-do list? Well, let me tell you what I've learned. One of the things I've learned in leading people now in the business world or the church world for more than 20 years, most of us don't need an expanded to-do list. Instead, what we need to do is thin out the to-do list. The way I I talk about this in my own life is to have a stop-doing list. What do you need to stop doing? See, some of us need to add some things in our lives. Some of us need to subtract some things from our lives. But either way, selection is the name of the game. What do you need to be doing? What are the things that you're doing in your life that are just busy things that are just running out the clock on your life. Here's the deal. Isn't it true that most of us are looking for God's will in our life? Is that true? Is that true? Yes, no, yes. Most of us are looking for that. But the deal is that for many of us, even
1: if you knew what God's will for your life is, you couldn't do it because you don't have time. That's why we talk about money. See, if God gave you an opportunity today
0: to go on a mission trip next month or even six months from now or a year from now, many of us couldn't do it. You know why? Because we don't have the disposable income. Well, if God said to you, here's an opportunity. I'm not even talking about an opportunity that comes in your life, you know, from 9 o'clock to 5 o'clock Monday through Friday. I'm talking about something on Saturday or Sunday, an opportunity, a weeknight for you to be able to do something in your life. You couldn't do it. You don't have the time. Your schedule matters. Putting God first and that schedule matters. Let me give you some areas to put God first. I'm going to do this by asking you some questions. you have time every week to come and worship in the house of God?
1: Now, I know that you're here today, so the answer today is yes. What about next week?
0: Some of you are thinking, oh, no, Jimmy's going to be looking for me next week when we got vacation <laughs> planned. I'm not talking about your vacation. You need your vacation. I want you to take your vacation. You need it. You deserve it. If you work, you deserve it. But, I mean, just on a regular weekend, do you take time to worship God? If you don't, you're too busy. Are you serving God anywhere? I know that some of you are saying, oh, I just don't have time to serve. If you don't have time to serve the body of Christ in our community, in the name of Christ, you're too busy. Are you reading your Bible every day? Whether it's a paper Bible, I know they seem to be old and archaic these days. You've got smartphones and iPads. Are you reading the Word of God on there? Do you have a time either in the morning or the afternoon, the evening, maybe all three of those where you just pull back and read
1: a few verses or read a chapter where you're trying to get the commands of God into your life. If you don't, then you're too busy. Do you have time to pray? Now, ladies, when I say prayer, I should
0: let you say this, but I'm going to. I'm not talking about riding down the road, headed to work, putting on your makeup, and you throw up a couple of words. That's not prayer. Guys, I'm not talking about you're driving to work and you're talking to somebody on the speakerphone, you're eating a biscuit and holding a cup of coffee while you're driving with your knees. I see you. You're driving with your knees. And then you just throw up a, a little prayer. That, that That's not prayer. Do you have a time, do you have a place somewhere during the day where you're pulling away and you're focused on God. You give a little bit of praise to Him. And then you say, God, I just need you to give me direction. You have time to pray. If you don't, you're too busy.
1: You have time to sit down occasionally and have dinner with your family. If you don't, you're too busy. You know, school's about to start back. Middle schoolers, high schoolers,
0: amen. School starting. Are you excited? Your parents are. Guarantee you. Guarantee. I know you're not, Dave. I, I get it. I get it. Oh. Your teacher. Yeah, teacher's not excited at all. No. Um, for most of us, at least those of us who have kids that are in school, school starting back, that's like the new January the 1st, isn't it? Have you noticed that around your house? All right, school year's come. We're going to do everything different this year. We're going to get it right this year. Um, We're going to get to bed on time at night. We're going to make sure that the kids have all their homework done by 8 o'clock or whatever. And all the kids are going to get good grades this year. We're going for A on a roll, A, B on a roll. We're going to get it all right. We're going to have something that's green and something grilled for dinner every night. And you know you're going to be at Taco Bell. (laughs) It
1: just... I'm I'm a realist. I understand how these things work, but listen. You can change the tone of your home if you'll just pick two,
0: three, four nights a week to have dinner together. Round the table, maybe around the TV tray, but no electronics, no phones. Decide you're going to have a dinner where everybody actually speaks to each other. It's amazing. Our kids went to thirst camp this year. All these middle school, high school students, they left their phones away. And we had one middle school girl, I can't can't remember who it was now, but she said last week, she said, you know, it was really nice to sit around and just talk to people. I was like, you can do that every day.
1: Not just once a year for a thirst camp. It's a maze called conversation. When you have dinner together, pause and pray. And uh, dads, moms, l- let me tell you how to pray. First, first of all, We need to learn some new prayers. God, our father, God, our father, once again,
0: once again, thank you for our blessings. Thank you for our blessings. Amen. Amen. I have a friend, good buddy. That's how he prays every time he says the blessing for us. Now he's five.
1: And so we all think it's great. It's not so cool when you're 55. Let let me tell you how to pray. You don't have to be the preacher to be able to say the blessing at your home.
0: What you do is you just say, God, thank you for
1: everything on this table. No matter what it is on the table, you are not to be thankful just because it's a T-bone steak. You've got meat this week to eat. If you eat meat this month,
0: that will be more than 84% of the world will have meat. 84% of the
1: world has a piece of meat about every three months. Be thankful for what's at your table. Hey, be thankful for who's at your table.
0: We had a family reunion yesterday. My mom's family, we get together the first Saturday and every August. And so we, uh, we have a big family and uh, we gather up there.
1: Usually I say the blessing. Not everybody can come to our family reunion, although I will say people do what they want to do. But there are a few people in our family that just can't come. They're not here with us anymore. The spot at the table where they would sit, it's always empty. So we've had to learn to be thankful for who's at the table. You want to know how wealthy you are. Just stop sometime at the dinner table and look at the people that are sitting there with you.
0: Our wealth is measured by the things that money can't buy. If you've got somebody sitting at the table and a bowl
1: to eat something out of, you're rich. Just say, God, thank you for what we have. Stop moaning about what you don't. Be thankful for who's there with you. And then finally, and I'll be quick about this.
0: You're going to put God first in your life. That means putting him first in your troubles too. What do you do? And I, 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 I almost want to know the answer, but I don't want you to answer me out loud. What, what do you do when troubles come into your life? What, what do you do in your life when some overwhelming crisis comes into your life? For example, a good friend of mine, two weeks ago, his son had a great job. Everything is going good. Had a great review on his job. He got a voicemail from his company that said, call this number to find out if you still have a job. Two little kids, one has just been born. He calls the number and they say, your job has been Terminated. Call this other number and they'll tell you about getting your last paychecks and all that. This company he's working for, they didn't even have anybody at the company sit down and say, listen, we had to make some budget cuts and you're our cut. I'm sorry. You know, we'll pay you for the next 30 days or 60 days or here's your severance or just go home. Nothing. He gets all of this from an
1: answering machine. What do you do when things like that hit? What do you do when the doctor says it's cancer? What do you do when your husband or your wife says, I don't love you anymore? I never loved you. I'm leaving you. What do you do? Here's what God says to do in Psalm 50, 15. He says, call on me
0: whenever you're in trouble and I will rescue you. Call on me and I will rescue you. But many of us, when we hit hard times, when we come into some trouble in our life, the first thing that we do is we draw on what we can do physically. We try to work it out all ourselves. We try to figure everything out. But God and prayer can't be the last resort. They have to be the first option. And let me tell you what happens. When you put God first in your troubles, when you put God first in your troubles, you're worried. Goes away. Karen should be preaching this part right here because she lives with a worrier. I worry. One of the things that we've learned in our lives together is that worry is like a warning light. It's a warning light that says you're not putting God first in this area of your life. When you're not putting God first in your finances, you're worried about your money. When you're not putting God first in your marriage, you're worried about your
1: relationships. Do you see how this works? When you make god first you can relax you can breathe
0: this is the last verse i want to give you for today it's an important one maybe the most important of all it's matthew six thirty three. jesus says seek ye first the kingdom of god above all else live righteously and he will give you everything you need Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And Jesus says those words right in the middle of a sermon on worry. The antidote for the
1: worry that you're dealing with in your life is to put God first. Let's stand together and pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to just get real with God for a minute. This is just between you and God. Some of you are worrying. You're eaten
0: up with worry and concern today. The reason for that is is that you're trying to do everything on your own. God doesn't want you to live that way. He didn't create you that way. You're not supposed to be doing life by yourself. And independently from him. Maybe you're here today and you've been living your life like that Pink Floyd song. We don't need no education. We don't need God in our lives. We'll live by our own rules. We'll do our own thing. Well, let me ask you, how is that working for you? If you're living life on your own, not listening to the instructions of God, not living the way he wants you to, how is that working? You have peace in your life. Do you live with worry? Worry about the future. Some of you are worried about your money because God's not first there. Some of you are worried because your interests have taken control of your life and God's not first place in those things. So your interests have grown up in your life like weeds and they've choked God out. Some of you are worried because God doesn't have First place in your relationships, and so you've got problems in your marriage. You've got problems with your kids. Some of you have a time problem. You don't have enough time, or you feel like you're wasting your time, and you are if God's not in charge of it. And then some of you are in trouble this morning. You've lost a job, you're facing losing a job. Some of you are waiting on test results that you're afraid may be cancer. Or something else. Some of you are hurting because that person has come to you to say, I want
1: out this marriage. You're in trouble. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Let God have first place in your life.
0: And that begins with you trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so right now, if you've never trusted Jesus, if you've never yielded your life to Him, whether you're 10 years old or 100 years old, if you're here right now today, it's not too late for you. And whether you have 50 years left or 50 days or 50 minutes, you can live the rest of your time putting God first. But that begins with you submitting your life to Jesus. So right now, if you've never trusted Jesus, do it now and simply whisper this prayer with me. Just say, Jesus, right now, in the best way I know how, I give you my life. Just say, Jesus, I've been doing it my own way. I've been living by my own rules, by my own principles. I've refused to listen to what anybody else says. I've refused to listen to what you want for my life. But that ends today because from here on, no matter how much time I have left in my life, I give it to you. I put you first. And now just say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Say thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for taking away the worry over my future. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Hey, listen, I love you guys. Didn't Karen do great? Didn't care. Um,. We've got one song that we're going to sing, and uh, Dylan's going to be dismissing you guys here in just a moment. But this song is so powerful. The words are going to be on the screen. You guys can sing it. and I hope that you will. Um, our ushers, uh, when we start to sing, they're going to move to the back doors. They'll receive your offerings on your way out. They'll also receive your connection cards. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus today, let us know by taking your connection card, fill it out somewhere on the front of the back, write a B on it, we'll know that you're believing in Jesus. Listen, I know we've talked a lot, but i got one more thing I want to say to you. This song is true. It it talks about God making broken things new again. Not just patching them up a little bit, but making them new. This song is about God taking the ashes of our lives and bringing new life there. And it's true. Some of you, look at me, some of you feel like your life is ruined, and it's not. It's not. Some of you think that you're beyond forgiveness, that you're beyond repair, that God can't do anything with you, and that's not true. That is a lie that Satan tells us It's on fire and smells like the pit of hell. It is not true. Some of you feel like you're not lovable. And that's not true. Maybe you don't have anybody around you right now in your life that's loving on you, but I'm telling you right now that God loves you. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done in your life, and no matter what somebody else has done to you, God loves you. He wants to make you whole and make you complete. And I want you to know this too. We're glad you're here. At Rocky River Church, no perfect people are allowed. So if you're here today and you're perfect, see you in heaven. This is a place, and I, I don't say that to run all the pretty people off. That's not what I mean at all. But I'm just saying, if you feel like you're broken, if you screw up in life, if you mess up or you have messed up, welcome to Rocky River Church. I love you guys, and I'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.